Welcome back to the Chris Massey Show. Today we have another special guest. You know, we go back, me and this guy. Uh, he has a lot under his belt, a lot of great things and accomplishments. Actually, welcome back to the show. Yeah. It's a lot have changed. Yeah, it has. So, so uh, Quantez Presley, welcome back to the Chris Massey Show. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you, man. First of all, congratulations with the success that you're experiencing. I love to see people evolve and, you know, just just do great you know yeah you say we go way back i'm thinking what's that 15 years now so <laughs> yeah. putting some years on the on the tally board but likewise it's uh, always a pleasure to see uh, people you come up with grew up with continue to kind of follow that trajectory of success and uh even though we're 15 years in it's still only it's still early you know so just excited about what's coming next in the next five ten years from now so yeah and that's a great point to start off with. Uh, um, we was talking about, well, yeah, you just said it, 15 years. So it's amazing. We actually seen each other grow up from teens to yeah. through the 20s. And now we're about to be. <laughs> Hot <the> pictures. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's that's that's what's great. You know, we, uh, we're we talking off air. It's always great to have something to look forward to. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that we didn't peak. You know, you don't want to be looking back like, man, life used to be great. You know, what happened? So Yeah. Now, you, uh, older you get, I guess you get more used to the paradox uh, because growing up and getting older definitely just come with uh, more responsibilities. I'll use that word, uh, having to pay bills, being more responsible for more people in your life, whether it's children or uh, spouses. Uh, and so, you know, there comes times when you do uh, look back on those high school days where the only thing you really had to worry about was uh, making sure your game was tight, you know. Exactly. <laughs> you got invited to the nice parties. But then the other side of that is, you know, you really do uh, begin to uh, grow in your purpose and passion mm -hmm. in life and to begin to see your friends and your colleagues do the same. Getting older becomes a, a great joy. Mm -hmm. And again, th that side of it to see uh, your friends get married or have children or uh, get that job that they've been working for, that degree that they've been pursuing, uh, all of those things are just really uh, encouraging and edifying as 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 you walk into those adult years, look yeah. at us being all reflective <laughs> next to <laughs> exactly man. approaching the horizon of thirty. <laughs> Got me feeling old when I look back at man. I mean, the way you said it, yeah, that's yeah. you. You put it perfectly. Like now, you have an interesting path. Um, I understand you're into the uh, you're a minister. Yes. Yeah. So. I don't know if we talked about that before, but what made you, like, is that what you always wanted to be a minister or it's like a, one day you was like, okay, I got another calling and I need to, I'm going to pursue something else. Yeah. Being a minister is a call that I'm still growing into. Uh, you know, it's a challenging thing because oftentimes when you share that you're a minister with people, there's a particular box that they put you in certain uh, behaviors or um, morals they expect you to kind of expile. So I, I'm growing into that role because I like to tell people that uh, uh, preaching is what I do is not who I am because you know I want to be able to maintain a degree of humanity and personality right. even in my uh, professional calling but yeah it's definitely something that was evident at an early age uh, my mom would say at around age of you know four or so I was the kid who had the brush in his hand preaching to the uh, couch <laughs> cushions and the uh, teddy bears uh, but you know took an interesting journey I probably preached my first sermon official sermon I was 14 hmm. um, you know didn't really uh, have uh, the most supportive environment in doing that at the church I was in uh, right. and as a result uh, 
didn't think it was for me. <laughs> so yeah. I, at like 14, 15, I decided to do like politics. So I was in the city Washington council, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Senate, you know, at, at Renaissance and uh, youth governor of the state of Michigan. So I thought politics was going to be the route that I was going to take. Right. So when I graduated from Morehouse, came back home, uh, you know, did the politics thing, worked for the city of Detroit, uh, was chief of staff for the city council president there. Um, left there, worked for the state of Michigan, where I ultimately was the uh, director of community schools for the Department of Human Services. Uh, and so I was, you know, trying to be bivocational during those same times I was youth pastor at two churches in Detroit, first Hawker Memorial Baptist mm-hmm. Church, and then now the church I'm in now, Third and Hope Baptist Church. And um, I guess I got kind of exhausted by trying to uh, uh, live in both worlds, both politics and ministry. Uh, so Last year, you know, again, approaching, you know, 30 and thinking about what's next for my life, I really had to have a, a come to Jesus moment, I guess, pun intended. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and uh, made a decision that I wanted to do the ministry full time. And I made a, a promise to myself out of the uh, challenging situation that I had when I was a teenager uh, preaching that I promised myself that I would never uh, enter ministry without being properly prepared. So made the decision to go to seminary and now I'm at a Union Theological Seminary which is the uh, Divinity School for Columbia University in Harlem, New York. Mm. Uh, just started and uh, looking forward to growing so I can come back to Detroit and, and do what I, I feel like I've been made to do. Oh, man, that's that's an amazing journey, man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's why I wanna, I'm glad you're here because um, one thing I always want to ask a younger pastor is like, mm-hmm. what is that like? Because, you know, usually a lot of people associate older individuals mm-hmm. with the, when mm-hmm. you say pastor, even though they don't realize it's been a journey. They didn't, yeah, just, yeah. They didn't just start uh, uh, being a pastor. So what is it like being, you know, being uh, your perception? You know, like, like, do people treat you differently because you're so young and you actually look young? Oh, yeah. Or it's yeah. like, like. I mean, it's a range. I guess it really depends on the sort of audiences that I'm in. So uh, around my peers, around my peers, uh, it becomes difficult because people immediately um, guard themselves. So say, for instance, you know, we're out chilling, you know, might be right. some libations on the table, you know, and, you know, having yeah. a good time. And somebody says, yeah, he's a minister and people automatically yeah. want to push their glass away or right. change the conversation topic. It's like, no, I'm, I can, uh, I'm a... Uh, I guess stretchable enough, flexible enough, I'll say, to be able to exist in those environments uh, right. and allow people to, you know, have their own uh, lifestyle choices uh, and things of that nature. But then, as you were mentioning, you know, with older people, uh, it does become a bit difficult. You know, when I'm preaching, um, as a matter of fact, uh, when I preached in Harlem, uh, there were actually two people in the church after service who were a uh, hundred years or older wow. uh, and so the kind of process like what am I saying at 29 <laughs> yeah. to a person who's lived a century you know that's uh, worthwhile and meaningful so on those occasions it's, it definitely is humbling but I try to uh, keep that always in the forefront of my mind that I I don't know uh, not to get too um, theoretical or philosophical or theological about it um, but I, I really do model after Jesus. I, I mean, Jesus is my homeboy in, oh. the, in that case. You know, I really look at his life. And the, his ministry was just existing around people. You know, mm-hmm. it never really was about a building, a particular attire that he wore, a particular title that he held. It was just yeah. how he existed and moved in relating uh, with people. And so that's kind of where I try to operate my ministry, not 
I don't like being called reverend or minister. I'm, I'm Q, Quantez, that's fine, you know. Right. I'm not going to make you break out your, your Bible in the middle of, you know, it's chilling, you know. We're just normal conversation. Hopefully my light shining and radiating in a way that, you know, you see something and um, uh, become compelled to find out what it is that allows me to live my life in that way. Right. Man, that's interesting the way you put that because I've brought that point up to people. I said, honestly... Cause I'm a very spiritual person as well. Mm-hmm. And I've said to people, you know, uh, look at the people that Jesus hung around and definitely gave attention to, because I said, that's the the ultimate example of how humans should behave. Yeah. You know, like ironically, you're, you're a son of God, but you're the most humble. So yeah. it's like, yeah. it shows a proper balance in life and, and the, you know, the humility. Yeah, I mean, don't get me started. I have, like, a range of stories from there about, you know, the sort of humility that he carries himself with. A uh, sermon I preached not too long ago was, I mean, I was really baffled, you know, and um, uh, I guess we're about to take your listeners to Bible study real quick. I was really <laughs> baffled cool. about, you know, Jesus after his uh, crucifixion and resurrection. The first time he meets his disciples, his disciples are locked in a room on the outskirts of the city because they were afraid that they were going to get killed next. And, you know, the way the story is told is that while they're in this room and they're afraid, they just they just know they're getting ready to die, Jesus appears in the room. And the thing that was baffling to me about this story is that this is the first time Jesus is seeing them after he uh, triumphs over death, right? Mm-hmm. And he sees them, and what he does is very revolutionary because here you have the... Prince of Peace, this Messiah, this King, and he shows them his wounds. That's his first thing. Not a crown, not a throne, not his riches, you know, not his power. You know, he said, no, I want you to see the holes in my hand. I want you to see the holes in my side. And what sort of humility is that, you know, to be at the top of your game, to have the most triumphant moment of your life, and not to use that to be braggadocious or anything, but to, you know, be vulnerable and continue to be uh, humble even in that environment. So, no, I take... I take humility as a, a core, a core belief and principle in my life. I feel like it's the uh, one weapon that can, uh, you know, really mitigate any situation. You know, if you just mm-hmm. approach it with a bit of humility, it's <laughs> yeah, really like hard it. for somebody to, you know, put that in the wrong box or position. So, yeah, I'm a Jesus lover. I'm not ashamed about that. Oh, yeah, me too. I'm with you, man. Because that's why I live by three simple rules. Uh, God first and only God first. Humility precedes honor. And the third one I got from a, a chocolate wrapper. It was like uh, share the similarities and celebrate the differences. Mm. So those are the three rules I really live by, and it's it's working for me. Yeah, you know? I've been yeah. doing that for about almost ten years now. Yeah. So uh, you know, one of the things that I've been really dealing with in seminary is you know here I am, someone who's preparing myself for ministry. So I have to deal with the realities of where uh, the religious community is now, and so. You know, there was a Pew Research study that came out a little earlier this year that said that uh, Christianity is uh, finally losing a majority of its share of people who consider themselves to be religious uh, Mm -hmm. in America. And the fastest growing demographic group are those who consider themselves to be non-religious, who the research called the nuns. And I've just really been intrigued by these nuns. Because although they're not religiously affiliated, they don't have a a denomination they proclaim or church that they go to, they still have behaviors 
that are deeply religious. So some of them pray at least occasionally. Uh, some of them even de uh, describe themselves as being deeply religious people. I think the report said eight out of 10 of them believe in God, but yet and still, they don't consider themselves to be religious. And so in my mind, I'm trying to figure out how I can get religion to expand in such a way that those people are included. That even though they might not have a particular de denominational affiliation, may not go to church all the time, but that spiritual drive, that belief in God, that connection that you believe that your life is in purpose to help somebody else, mm -hmm. I think should include you in, in being religious, you know, even right. if, you know, you don't have those sort of affiliations. And so again, going back to Jesus, uh, one of the things I've been thinking about, you know, while I was in seminary is uh, positioning him as a nun. You know, if you put him in his context, yeah. Most of his ministry was outside of the four walls of the church. He yeah. had a very uh, uh, challenging relationship with the uh, established church at the time. Uh, the people he hung around was people who probably would be, you know, considered to be uh, suspect or questionable. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he believed in God, prayed at least occasionally, had the spiritual drive and motivation. And so, you know, seeing what connection might be there between Jesus and this, you know, uh, religiously non-affiliated group. So that we can, like I said, widen the tent and find uh, larger um, uh, things to coalesce around rather than trying to figure out categories to divide us by. I'm glad you said that because honestly, that's what I used to struggle with when I, because uh, I found myself at 19. Um, that's when I had the, uh, when I committed myself to God, like no specific religion, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I grew up in a church. So obviously Jesus is the first one. Mm -hmm. That I started studying because mm -hmm. I explored, I ex experimented with a few different, not like practices, just read about them. Because, mm -hmm. you know, obviously, you know, the Bible the most, if that's what you grew up, whatever you know the most, that's what you turn yeah. to first. Mm -hmm. So, and that's when I looked at like how universal God is, you know, it's different, it's different prophets and different higher night, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and that's what, because it's interesting how everything comes together because uh, what you just mentioned I was hesitant to commit to a certain religion because mm -hmm. I didn't like, it, especially Christianity at the time, because I felt as I was being judged or so judged, like, you know, like th that's a negative stereotype yeah. of it. Mm -hmm. People who don't know what their, what the whole purpose is mm -hmm. and everything. Cause you could find anything in the Bible. It can be used for good or not, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that's why I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not about to commit. That's why I paid attention specifically to Jesus. And I'm like, Oh, that's who you pay attention to. Not, and then ignore the people. Yeah. Because, ironically, I saw you recently had a picture with a uh, Dr. Cornell. Was it Dr. Cornell? Yes. Was a professor? Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. A person I admire and respect. And ironically, when I was about to leave college, you know, to start my journey, you know, because I dropped out at sophomore mm -hmm. year. One of his, he spoke at Howard University like two weeks before I was about to leave. And his, the title of his speech was called Now Was the Time for Courage. Mm. And one of the things that he said in there was uh, he was, t he was actually talking about religion versus spirituality mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. non-commitment people. And um, one of the things he said is basically what you said and what I'm saying. He said he saw a bumper sticker that said, Jesus, save me from your followers. Yeah. Because, you know, some so-called Christians can be the most judgmental, mm -hmm. the opposite of humility, <laughs> you know. So it's, it's, it's that's what happens with the youth because it's, you can only you can't blame people for the way you've been treated. So it's like I don't want to be a part of that group because so and so a part of that group. And yeah. they, 
they condemned me or something like that. Yeah. So. And then on top of that, this generation, you know, I like to call them the uh, anti-label generation. We just don't have much tolerance on being labeled or categorized, period, point blank. <laughs> just not going to happen. And so even outside of, uh, like you said, those troubling things. And so if I could talk about that for a minute, one of my yeah, yeah, yeah. challenges, right, like when you mentioned, asked me, you know, how does it feel to be a minister or how people perceive you, is that I carry the weight of other ministers. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the reason why that's challenging is that if you're going to be a surgeon, right, there is uh, classes you have to take, there are tests you have to pass, and there's credentials you have to receive right. in order to do surgery. If you want to be a lawyer, there are uh, classes you have to take, there are tests you have to pass, there are certificates you have to receive in order to do law. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a minister, you just got to open up a building. And this is one of the, uh, I, I can't tell you how much it irks me yeah, because good. so many people come in contact with these ministers who don't have the credentialing, don't have the education, yeah. don't have the capacity, and so they get hurt by that. And that hurt that they receive by that person who hasn't been qualified or uh, schooled or prepared for what they're doing, then becomes the broad stroke by which they judge all ministers. Right, I, right. I just lift this, the hundred or so black pastors who met with Donald Trump or whatever, you know, to yeah. have to carry that weight, to have the presentation of ministers at that time to be um, open or, you know, selling their ministries uh, to mm -hmm. be able to support a political candidate, you know, it's, it's problematic. So one of the things that I, you know, have hoped, you know, I don't know if it's possible because, you know, you can't judge anybody's calling. If somebody hears yeah. a call from God, just a call from God. But I just hope that we would return to a time where, you know, if you're going to deal with somebody's brain or heart and surgery, you need to be credentialed. <laughs> where if you're going to deal with somebody's spirit and soul, yeah. I feel like you should be credentialed as well. And so really trying to reclaim uh, what it means to be a minister so that, you know, people are avoid can avoid that church hurt. Because even myself, like I explained in my own trajectory, right. I, I went through that. So that's kind of yeah. the lens that I approach uh, ministry. And so then uh, just to jump to another point, as you stated, the reason why I've come to that conclusion or have been thinking more in depth about you know, the nuns, people who are religiously non-affiliated is precisely because of uh, Dr. West's class. Uh, I took him last semester in a class called uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, the uh, historical perspectives on W.E.B. Du Bois. Mm -hmm. So for 13 weeks straight, we went through Souls of Black Folk, Dusk of Dawn, and some other articles that W.E.B. Du Bois uh, wrote. And, you know, just talked about a number of range of things. And the one thing that kept getting to me is that Du Bois, apparently by a lot of scholars, were considered to be non-religious. Some hmm. even said he was agnostic. Some said that he was atheistic. And what baffled me is he titled his book Souls of Black People. Exactly. He talked about spiritual strivings. He has mm -hmm. a chapter in there that says of the faith of our fathers. So he uses this uh, religiously entrenched language, but yet he found himself to be non-religious. And so I dug deeper, and I realized what it was, he talks about two things that made him resent religion, the boys. And you can find this in Dusk of Dawn, his autobiography. Mm -hmm. The first thing he said was the heresy trials of Charles Briggs. Now, Charles Briggs was a theologian who existed right at the turn of the 19th century, Enlightenment period. Uh, but he suggested that the Bible should be taken as a historical document and should be... Um, uh, left open to historical criticism so you can read the Bible put it in this contextual period and make judgments based off what's true and what's not true the church heard that and was like this is heresy <laughs> <laughs> the Bible is the inherent uh, inerrant word of God is uh, plenary inspiration the Holy Spirit wrote it itself 
There was no way you could study the Bible, and they ended up kicking him out the church. Mm. So imagine for a guy who's intellectually um, astute like W.E.B. Du Bois to see the church kind of reject someone who wants to bring reason yeah. uh, and blend it with faith, that was a problem. Second thing, which I found hilarious, was W.E.B. Du Bois' first introduction to black culture was at Fisk University, HBCU stand-up, right? right? So he went to Fisk University, and he said that this was the first time he really felt his blackness. And uh, in that environment, he also ran into black conservative religion in Tennessee. And uh, here he is. He said he loved dancing, danced all, his all throughout his life. But when he ran into the black conservative religious group, they told him dancing was a sin. <laughs> and when he heard that dancing wow. was a sin, he was like, this is just too much. And so these two things, one, a rejection of reason and intellect. Uh, I guess out of fear or hesitation and then two being too concerned about setting these rules on people's yeah. joys and pleasures were things that made him resentful of religion how many other people have that been the case because religion has exactly. overstepped its bounds tried to go into your life tell you you can't enjoy the pleasures of life because of some rule that was created that they haven't really read and understood mm -hmm. you know so again I'm trying to um, prepare myself in such a way that I could present a ministry to people uh, that respects their humanity, their personality, while still encourages them to strive for a higher being, a higher purpose, a higher passion. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. That goes from, uh, it really goes deep, man. It's actually, I, I came across a quote that says, interesting how the most complicated, or the most apparent complicated situations have the simplest solution. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, it's a simple solution. But it's it's a complex issue. Yeah. You know, it's like the simplicity is basically be a non judgmental zone. Be humble. Yeah. But it's not that easy to do. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, it's so definitely it's like, not that easy. I mean the forces against those things are definitely real. I don't talk about Satan as a red monster, you know, <laughs> exactly. with a pitchfork, but it's the uh counter spirit that exists in all of us, that balance of those days we don't feel like being good or moral, right? You know, we just don't mm -hmm. have the energy or um um the moral courage to do so and i mean it exists in all of us and so to the degree we got to try to overcome pride ego uh, yeah. those are the the devils that i like to talk about you know mm -hmm. greed uh, yeah. uh uncooperativeness you know discord those are the things that we try to have to overcome in our daily lives so that we can exemplify principles of humility of love of unity of care yeah. of compassion and again that that would make the world a, a much better place but as you said, that's much easier uh, said than done. <laughs> I mean, you got you got to have something to keep you going. Yeah, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, you definitely won't get bored at work. Yeah, not at all. And uh, I understand you uh, minister to a lot of youth, right? Yeah, and that's you know you got to start early because you like you said you know you don't really want to leave because you know a kid um, that determines your livelihood. You know, so you don't like those fifty fifty eyes when yeah. you can have direct guidance and put them on the right path early. Yeah, I think it was Frederick Douglass said that it's easier to raise healthy children than to fix broken men. Mm. And, you know, starting young is really important. One of the things I've been a youth pastor the last seven years, and one of the things that I've acknowledged is that, you know, a lot of the things that we preach about in church or try to help people with when they're 20, 30, 40, all the way up to, you know, however old uh, they're blessed to live are really just problems that were unaddressed when they were children. You know, mm -hmm. things, maybe it's a matter of distrust. Maybe it was hurt that was unmended. Maybe it was uh, behaviors that was uncorrected. So if we can begin to steer our focus uh, early on and really building that foundation for people, 
I think that it would go a long way in helping them. Now, here's another one of my unconventional ways of approaching it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've been, again, looking at Jesus's life, when I was an undergrad, I wanted to call it the failure of the gospel. And the reason why I want to call it the failure of the gospel is because if you look at Jesus's life, which is supposed to be represented in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you don't see anything or hear anything from Jesus for 18 years. Yeah, from the age of 12 when he's found in the temple speaking to the Jewish leaders and then the next time you hear Jesus at the age of 30 when he's getting baptized by John the Baptist so from the age of 12 to the age of 30 you hear nothing about Jesus <laughs> come on now Chris what happens from the age of 12 to the age of 30 everything like everything that you know yeah do I date this girl do I not do I go to this party do I not trying to figure out your potential your talent your, your boundaries and for a lot of people at that age, when you talk about teenagers and, you know, trying to figure out their identity and who they're supposed to be, young adults trying to figure out, you know, how do I balance my uh, professional life and my personal life? All of those mm-hmm. things are missing in the example of Jesus because those 18 years are missing. Right, so when right. I begin to think about, you know, church and, you know, how it thinks about judges, oftentimes criticizes young people, I think it's unfair because if you think about Jesus's life, he waited till he was 30 to get baptized. Mm-hmm. Baptism in a Christian religion is like this sign of purification. Like, okay, yeah. I'm finally making the decision to leave my old life behind <laughs> and accept my new life. What does it mean that Jesus waited till he was 30 to do that? Exactly. And what does that mean about, right. you know, his ministry? So giving young people more latitude to grow and explore. I think we all should have those 18 missing years. Those years where you are allowed to explore, grow, test your own boundaries, figure out what your life is like so that when you do come into some self-awareness, which doesn't occur now, look at us at thir- approaching 30, we're right. starting to think, we re- become more reflective, like, okay, yeah. what's the purpose of life? There's, a, it out. there's a natural chart to that. So giving people that latitude to figure that out as opposed to you being 13 and you make a mistake and me completely <laughs> condemning you or right. 15 and condemning you, it's like, why? Give them that latitude to grow to explore who they are so that when they do come into some self-enlightenment it can be more fortified and have a stronger foundation yeah man that's you put that perfectly man um man that's dope i, I never looked at it like that you yeah. know uh but yeah like you said we settling in because we, we 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 did that trial and everything yeah. because like, like you said yeah. it's we just need to be more encouraging and we actually need more examples like yourself man yeah, it's just unfair to hold a 13 year old to a standard of a 30 year old <laughs> a 30 year old messiah at that <laughs> on, a, on, a surface, on a surface level it sounds ridiculous and then for you to actually believe yeah it, like, yeah, wow. yeah yeah like, i'm not an adult like i'm a kid yeah exactly <laughs> you know? exactly so i mean there's a, a lot of work that can be done but i have uh you know my my heart goes out to these young people uh they're dealing with some enormous challenges one of the things that are really under-addressed in our community uh, is trauma, you know, just the trauma mm-hmm. that, you know, young people face on a daily basis, whether it's in their household, watching their mother get uh, beat violently for domestic abuse. That's a real issue in our community. Yeah. We're just really silent about it. Or even if it's just a kid happened to walk past 16 abandoned buildings to get to school every day, you know, that that's trauma that isn't spoken of. And so my heart is really heavy for them because we expect a lot of them with the enormous amount of challenges that they're, you know, carrying on their back. And so, you know, I really, I make it a point. I was talking to my wife about, you know, my ministry style, my preaching style. I try to always bring voice to things that our community tries not to speak about. Mm -hmm. So in every sermon, you know, I'm going to talk about domestic 
uh, abuse or violence. In every sermon, I'm going to talk about mental health issues. In every sermon, I'm talk about uh, sexual molestation and abuse because these are real issues where right. if you look at the numbers, the reality is we all know somebody who has either been affected by it or who is participating in it. And mm -hmm. if we're going to just sit idly by and not say anything, we're just as... Uh, responsible as the persons who are exacting these sort of things so i always try to lift up these words and then on the other side of it <clears throat> i've been very encouraged by these young people you know i remember maybe like five or six years ago the statement was there was a lot of nervousness and concern because this is supposed to be the first generation uh removed from the civil rights movement the first generation untouched from the civil rights movement they wouldn't know their history they wouldn't know the struggle and when you watch the news today the sort of awakening that they are experiencing in their own sort of activism, living in their own civil rights moment, you know, it's really been powerful to see how they've responded. So it's easy right. for us to kind of, you know, focus on those who are participating in gang violence, dropping out of school, selling drugs. You know, we can really have a debate about what societal factors are playing into that, what mm -hmm. sort of choices they're limited in order to fall into those things. But then on the other side, let us not overlook the... Uh, thousands of young people who are lifting their voices, whether using lines in social media, whether uh, using their platforms as college athletes, whether it's not, whether or not it's uh, bringing up a protest, uh, even in their own communities, young people are beginning to wake up and to find out that even at the early age that they are, they can make a contribution in changing the world. And so, you know, again, that's that paradox we live in. On the yeah. one hand, there's a lot of challenges and burdens, but on the other hand, they're really doing a great job of taking advantage of the crisis and creating opportunities for themselves all right yeah i definitely agree man and i um for people who want to support you and keep you know who could you know i'm sure you interested in uh helping people and talking with people but what's the best way for them to contact you yeah i guess it's my social media uh and y'all have to forgive me uh to be quite transparent i'm a little bit of an introvert so sometimes i can go black <laughs> but you know if you want to reach out you know you got my my twitter which is uh q underscore presley p-r-e-s-s-l-e-y uh facebook Quantes press you can find me there instagram q presley as well um and you know i i'm always um uh, open and enjoy opportunities to be able to speak to people as they inform how I minister to people. So to know people's stories, the challenges they go through, hearing people's experiences, always uh, I always find it to be edifying to me uh, and educational as well as I you know, continue to try to figure out uh, what my life uh, purpose and passion is and being able to exact some real change in our community. All right. And uh, we, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, I tell you whenever I get the chance, I want to personally thank you for, like, we wouldn't be doing this right now. You helped me get back in the game in 2011 because I didn't know what my next move was going to be. And you helped me, you helped me. Uh, it was a divine connection. Mm -hmm. We ran into each other. I think it might have been your birthday celebration. You asked me, do you know who Reginald Francis Lewis is? And I'm like, I'm actually reading the book right now. I had bought the book like mm -hmm. two years ago and just started reading it at that time. Then I'm and for like, all of y'all who haven't read the book, you need to get it. Yeah, uh, it's life changing. Why, why should white guys have all the fun? And that's a great, amazing story. And so, you know, like the divine timing, because I sat on the book for two years, decided to read it. And at the time that I was reading it, you happened to just, you just asked me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds familiar. And you introduced me to his wife and uh, her business advice is what gave me the motivation and guidance to get back on it 
within two weeks I had the, I was at the new studio so I want to personally thank you for you know uh, everything for being so supportive and you know just helping man, oh, man and believing in my vision and support my pleasure that's that's nothing and uh you know i uh, just count myself privileged to be able to share uh and you're doing an extraordinary job giving voice uh to this up-and-coming generation and providing necessary information so that people can uh, find their own passions and follow their dreams and be legendary right <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate that yeah. yeah well yeah i appreciate you for taking the time we gotta do this again and uh, congratulations again, and keep up the great work, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. You as well. Uh, no problem. Thank you. And for everybody who want to stay updated with the Chris Massey Show, everything is Chris Massey Show. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page, uh, SoundCloud. The iTunes link is coming soon. And, and everything is Chris Massey Show. We appreciate all the love and support. And shout out to Dr. Ellingsworth representing the group Detroit City for this segment's instrumental. If you like his music, you can uh, follow him on social media as well at Ellingsworth, I L L I N G S W O R T H. Appreciate you once again, Quantez Presley, and appreciate everybody for tuning in. Peace. Peace. Trying to get my peace of mind Let my girl massage my temple to unlock my shine 
Just a matter of time, she said that I will become the man that I'm supposed to be. Huh. I put my faith in the hands of God, even though time is hard, I'm happy just to be. So we, we can, can roll around, leave the town, smoke some bird, speak the word, drink the food. Even with the highs and the best. Underneath